This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning, Professor Ward Scott here in the manly, manly, manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Melton Law Studio, which is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators, protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention, sponsored by on-the-spot cleaners, R&R construction, style cuts, poser medical, you name it, we got it. We need more anytime you want to pile in there. And we appreciate you who donate now and then to us. That really helps us keep things going, keeps our production costs and all that sharp for you. We bring you a good product. Um, shoot GTR. Great outdoor range, safe range, good people. Well, 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 well. You know, we are suffering here at the University of Florida area athletically in that we are down in the dumps over having been pummeled by Utah embarrassingly. That, that, that program I'm told by ESPN, who knows, was the biggest initial viewing of an initial college football season. So basically the whole world saw it. And unfortunately for Billy Napier, he has accumulated more losses in one season than Steve and Urban Meyer did in many seasons. And you know, he had the transfer portal, too. So he could really buy anything he needed, except that we know that Florida feels it doesn't have the money that Georgia has or Alabama. And it's true. We don't have as big a collective pot of money as those schools do and may never. I don't know how much Colorado had that enables the success in the initial game anyway of Deion Sanders to make a big splash, positive splash. But, you know, the coaching is a big part of it, a huge part of it. You can see this. You watch this. The other thing that's going to go on tonight, I'm reminded by my uh, production uh, partner here, whom you never see, but we I hear. Tonight, he's a football fan. Tonight is the beginning of the NFL. So get ready. It's going to be the Chiefs and the Lions. And it's off and running on Thursday night. But the biggest story for Gainesville, Florida, athletically, and the University of Florida, is Ben Shelton. Ben Shelton is going to play He's 20 years old. 
in the semifinals tomorrow hasn't been announced a time yet Novak Djokovic who is the best tennis player in the world I'm going to make a prediction Ben is going to give him some problems not that Novak hasn't had problems before but I wanted to give you a little appreciation or what it takes to be in the semifinals of the U.S. Open. Because tennis is one of the most popular games in the world. It is, uh, <clears throat> let me just give you some statistics. <clears throat> there are 87 million, that's right, 87 million, Tennis players globally. 41% of those players are female. 1.71% of the world's population plays tennis. There are 3,619 total professional players, 115,000 tennis clubs globally, 578,000 tennis courts globally, 149,000 tennis coaches globally. 22% of whom are female. Now, this is the background in which you have to understand the significance. Helps you understand. Of Ben Shelton, who graduated from Buell's and the University of Florida, playing the number one, number two, they go back and forth. He would be number one except for COVID, kept him out of some tournaments. Player in the world. Now, the country with the most players, and most players, 90% of the players, live in Europe, Asia, and Northern America. Novak is from Serbia. When he started playing, it was a war-torn country. This is an international sport. International. That's one of the great things about it. Many players now coming from China. And they're very good and very disciplined. The country with the most players is the United States with 17.84 million players. Ben Shelton is one of four or five American players out of that 17.84 million to be 
in the very special elite group of the U.S. Open. And of that group, he is the most elite of the Americans now. I just had to put that in context for you so that you would get an appreciation for what you should see tomorrow when they announce the time. The sport is arduous and that you are out there alone with your Contestant, your combatant. Everything is on you in front of the world. If you make a mistake, if you do well, you're not able to blame it on anybody but yourself. Um, in 2019, 58% of the ranking professional players. Now let's talk about ranking. You get a ranking by points, which you get by winning in tournaments that give points, which are always the ones which attract the top players throughout the world. If you're in the top 100, imagine what percentage of people that puts you in there with. And imagine what the top 50 and the top 10 means. In 2019, 58% of the top 500 players were 25 or older. By the time you hit 30, and not much beyond that, the sport is so demanding that you need to start thinking about what you want to do with your life next. Um, now, 90% of the ranking players for both women and men begin at the age of 19 and go to 32. So the competitive years have been compressed. Um, Roger Federer retired, age 41. Rafa Nadal, injuries, age 36. Novak Djokovic, age 35, is the gold standard right now for quality longevity. What you also need to probably understand, to appreciate what you will see tomorrow, is there are 7,200 75 junior tennis players from across 148 different nations. And they have competed at least once during a period of 12 months. 75% of these players are located in about 37 nations. And the analysis shows that about three are females, and the rest are males. Russia participates, and they are quality players that don't show their flag. 
And they will occasionally play somebody from Ukraine. Both quality players. And it's a very tense moment. Generally, they have not been shaking hands at the net, which is sad because they're not responsible for their nation's behavior. Most interesting stuff. The United States is the country with the most professional players. Ranked, it has about 10% of those players in the world rankings. France has about 6%. Italy, 6%. The tennis coaches. Ben Shelton is coached by his father, Brian Shelton, who coached the Georgia Tech women's team at one time to a national championship, came here to Florida, coached the men's team to a national championship, and Ben won the individual national championship. According to the International Tennis Federation, there are about 150,000 registered tennis coaches. There's 41 national associations who put in this data. And that number is increasing by about 7% a year. The coaches live in only about 19 countries. So 90% of the coaches come from 19 different countries. Europe, 59% of the coaches come from Europe. Uh, Nationwide, USA with 10%. Tennis clubs, we have three here in town. There's been a significant increase in those. There are 100 and 15,000 registered tennis clubs. The growing number of players across the world has really not been impacted by pickleball. Pickleball is for retired tennis players to keep their racket skills going, but it is a drastically different game because you don't run. That's the biggie. You don't run. So when you take a look at this sport and you realize that right here in Gainesville, Florida, by way of the University of Florida, we have produced a player, a young man, 20 years old, who possibly could win the U.S. Open, which is arguably – the most impressive tournament of the big four. There is Wimbledon. There's the French Open. There's the Australian Open. And there's the U.S. Open. So I wanted to give you a little background on what is going on athletically here. We also have Grant Holloway, who is a three-time world sprint and hurdle champion, from the University of Florida track team, who was very good friends and buddies with our top tennis player. So we have got something going on, is my point, at the University of Florida athletically, besides football, okay? 
There is something going on besides football. I wanted you to get that, um, become aware of that. Now, academically, the Wall Street Journal supposedly has ranked the University of Florida, according to Main Street USA, one of our uh, partner local news outlets, the top bang from the buck public institution in the country. And I looked at the criteria they used to arrive at that. And I was pleased in that the criteria only used equity, you know, the old saw, diversity, equity, and inclusion, only ranked that as 10% of their conclusion. The big percent is the learning outcomes. Do you get a job also? So do you complete your studies on time? By that, we mean you are proceeding toward a degree. You're serious. And when you get that degree, what kind of job do you get? So the proceeding was about uh, 75%. Let me take a look at that, and I can tell you exactly what it was in the article. Uh, but the diversity and equity and inclusion was much, much smaller, 10%. And let's just look at the article here, and I'll get you the percentage exactly from the uh, – 70% on the learning outcomes, student outcomes. 20%, only 20% on the, quote, learning environment. I guess that means what? How many safe spaces did you have? The big thing is, did you graduate and get a job? And only 10% on, on diversity. Now, you compare that to what the local school board is over there wrangling about. Now, do you have a clue? The first few guesses don't count. What do you think they're over there wrangling about? What is the big deal the school board is trying to figure out, right? LGBTQWXYZ pronoun policy. Pronouns. Now, you know, I taught pronouns. There is one thing that is silver lining in all this. You couldn't get a student to give a tinker's damn about a pronoun. What's that? All of a sudden, a spotlight is shining on pronouns. And the spotlight is... Well, what are you going to do? They're supposed to line up with your sexual identity, which is supposed to line up with your birth certificate. But what are we going to do? What are we going to call you? You see where this becomes a real problem is in legal documents, wills, things that really matter 
in terms of order and clarity. That's why we have pronouns and antecedents that are supposed to agree. If the antecedent to the pronoun is a feminine, female, her. If it's male, it's his. You don't come in with some hybrid and try to tag it to some LGBTQWXYZ. Unless, I guess, we're going to have an appendix that's going to explain the member of the family who gets the car and the will is the LGBTQWXYZ member. Well, how do you, you know, I'm, I'm falling off the cliff here. How are you going to make that antecedent to that pronoun clear in the will? And wills are one of the most important things you need to have clarity in. I mean, it's dumbfounded. So we got a school board that is still over there wrangling around with what are we going to do with this very, very small percentage, which has nothing to do with learning. Nothing to do with learning. And you know, this is all being piggybacked. I'm sure you understand this. On race. In Bunnell, Florida, AMP article here, the Florida School District official apologized last week for an elementary school assembly in which black students were singled out for a presentation on low test scores. Flagler County, northeastern Florida, said at a new, had to have a news conference that the assembly at Bunnell Elementary School was, quote, a horrible Horrific mistake that shouldn't have happened. And that the school's principal has been put on paid administrative leave pending an investigation. I'm told that principal is black. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. The Bonnell Elementary staff members last Friday, which was about a week ago, pulled black fourth and fifth graders out of their regularly scheduled activities to attend a PowerPoint presentation about low standardized test scores. And the presentation was led by two black teachers who had noted that black students had underperformed on standardized tests for the past three years. And they tried to tell uh, students how students with higher grades had a better chance of going to college, while those with lower grades had a higher chance of going to jail, getting shot, or getting killed. And this made it to the Daytona Beach News Journal. And even though There was no intended malice. 
Lacacia Moore. Now, you know, when you see a name like that, the interim superintendent said that that doesn't reflect the district's values. What in the heck doesn't reflect the district values? Everything has become racist. And if everything is racist, by definition, nothing can be racist. San Francisco, exploring payouts for cash reparations for its African-American residents. They just passed in the California Assembly in the August 2024 is going to be, are you ready for this? In the state of California, LGBTQWXYZ month. Month. A recent National Association of Scholar Studies found that of some 173 schools surveyed, 42% provided racially segregated residences. 46% racially segregated orientation programs. And yet over here in Bunnell, you can't have these little guys come in there and say, listen, you guys need to pick it up. We've got so-called safe spaces. Fortunately, the University of Florida analysis by the Wall Street Journal only counted that sort of stuff 10%, whether or not you have a equity on the campus. It's amazing. It's amazing. I have not figured out yet why Asians who are discriminated against because they're too smart can't be called also people of color. I mean, if I were an Asian that was getting discriminated against because I had high grades, I'd jump over to person of color. If Elizabeth Warren, Pocahontas can be Indian and get in, come on. Identity politics. And here are the words that you hear. Systemic, implicit, microaggression. It's amazing. It's simply amazing. Race everywhere. Everywhere. It's killing us. It is killing us. Oakland, California. Oakland, California is the pits, all right? Crime, birthplace of the Black Panthers, the prosecutor against Trump in Georgia, the daughter of a Black Panther, 
raised in Oakland. Heather McDonald, who writes about race as well as anybody and crime as well as anybody, along with Jason Riley, has written in the journal about Karen Fleshman. You can't make that name up, Fleshman. Um, the training session she went through put on by District Attorney Pamela Price. The training session in Amelia County is called How to Serve White Victims. Well, well, well. How to Serve White Victims. The PowerPoint slide divides victims in this training session by race. And it is based on a presumption which created a special directive. Since everything is presumed to be on race, the district attorney's office issued a special directive that the prosecutors out of that district attorney office, and that's why they took this training session, would not apply higher sentences or egregious crimes if those higher sentences resulted in a disparate racial impact. So if a white person used a gun during a crime, or if a white gang member committed a robbery, he might face an enhanced sentence based on that gun's use or gang membership. If the defendant is black, however, he will be charged at the lowest possible level to avoid disparate racial impact. Only if a prosecutor receives permission from his supervisor May he pursue a higher sentence for a black defendant. The reasons you are supposed to practice what's called sentence enhancement, especially, is if the crime committed by the black is connected to childhood trauma. Now, This training has increased across these prosecutors' offices since George Floyd's death. And in Oakland, as of July, Oakland's homicide count was up 80% over 2019. Okay? This is according to Heather McDonald's research. The campaign is to decriminalize young people. An example is that six boys, three girls is given in this study, 12 to 7, were arrested in late May 
or three dozen robberies. Five of the suspects were released without charge within three days. At a public meeting that same month, a woman in her 60s described a youth attack. Quote, two kids beat the sh out of me in front of my house last Monday night. Down on the pavement, punching me, kicking me, dragging me through the street. Now, the district attorney has been criticized by, for failed leadership. There's been a movement to defund the police. Obviously, this unwillingness to charge and prosecute people for fear of racial imbalance. The racial imbalances, furthermore, in her mind, she has said, are to undo what she believes to be historical injustices. Historical injustices. We'll be right back in the Word Scott Files for the weather. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. Attention all Gator fans, Meldon Law is giving away a chance to experience the Florida Georgia game like never before. Two nights stay at the Hilton on the River, dinner at Ruth Chris Steakhouse, two premium tickets to the game, and a football signed by Coach Billy Napier, and much more. Go to the Meldon Law Facebook page and look for the VIP experience for two. Good luck and go Gators! This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, Large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com. And click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Word Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room 
is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth. All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Ward's Weather Report brought to you by Lewis Oil Chevron Stations Fossil Fuel. Use them. Great outfit. Well, the story has been the heat. The heat has been so bad in the Ash Tennis Stadium that yesterday, top-conditioned athletes had to call for the physician, had to call for inhalers, had to be drenched in ice. Arthur Ashe Stadium is like a big pit of concrete. And it's not air-conditioned. It has a roof which can close, but when they close the roof, they don't have an air-conditioning to turn on. So they got to leave the roof open unless it rains. So it can be just absolutely a miserable place. And it has been such. The heat has been really baking northeast United States. Meanwhile, Lee is now a Category 5 hurricane, but probably is going to head up past Bermuda and out to sea. Meanwhile, as Texas has been baking in the heat, a drought has pushed the water levels down. And all of a sudden, there has been discovered giant dinosaur tracks. Are you ready for this? That are about 110 million years old. Right? Nobody was around to save them from climate change. Think about it. It's south of Dallas and it's in an area heavily populated from the tracks by dinosaurs about 113 million years ago. Incredible. So the hottest June has revealed more dinosaur tracks. You can draw your own conclusions about what this major piece of paleontological history means. Does it mean electric vehicles? Is that what it means? Are you kidding? Um, electric vehicles. Here's the latest analysis of their folly that I'll pass along to you. It is a great hoax being perpetrated on the country right now. The electric vehicle revolution has come to the rental car outlets. And 
what the people who rent them are finding out is that quite frequently they're not properly charged. The vehicles lack accessories, come with little or no operating instructions. And on the road and at hotels, the charging availability is, shall we say, uneven. The batteries have been draining quickly. Um, have to hunt for a charging station. Hertz has made the biggest EV bet among rental agencies. It has bought about 300 cars, 300,000 cars from Tesla, General Motors, etc. You're going to get a rental car crammed down your throat sooner or later, whether you want it or not. That's electric. But it's a fiasco. It's a farce. I suppose we could resurrect those dinosaurs and they could tell us what we're really dealing with. What we're really dealing with. You know, a federal judge a just rule that the buoys in the river, Rio Grande, between Texas and Mexico have to be removed. Are you ready for this? Because the Rio Grande is a navigable river. And yet, where the buoys are, the illegals are walking across. Now, I don't know if you know about sandbars, but you don't know, you don't navigate a river with water so low you're hitting sandbars. Yet this federal judge has said you got to take away the orange buoys. Of course, Texas is going to challenge it. But the rationale, the issue was brought to the attention of the federal judge by Mexico. By Mexico, which has sent multiple complaints to the United States government about the barriers saying that the buoys violate an international treaty governing the river which separates the two countries. So what happens? Rather than the Justice Department tell Mexico to go pound sand, they tell Texas, hey, the federal government's got sole jurisdiction over the river. So when we tell you to take them down, take them down. Now, I'm going to let you contemplate that. What's wrong with that picture? The complaint was issued by Mexico. Why don't they put the buoys up on their side of the river? If there's such a thing, I guarantee you, nobody would object. The people are just wading across the river. 
How can it be a navigable river? Now, this problem has a, it's like a bookend. Okay, you just heard that you just heard that story, right? You heard that the Justice Department responded to a complaint by Mexico. Right? You heard that. Meanwhile, on the other end of the book, the book end, there are more than over a hundred thousand illegal immigrants, migrants, who have poured into the city of New York in the past two years. The sanctuary city, a Democrat city, a Democrat state, a Democrat justice department. But now, and Daniel Henninger has written about this and called us the Democrats circular firing squad. The New York Democrats want the problem fixed. And Joe Biden has his hearing aid turned off. Eighty-two percent. Now, now it's reached 82% of New Yorkers consider this migrant influx a serious problem. A serious problem. Meanwhile, the New York Democrats never piped up when those millions millions were waiting across the Rio Grande. New York City, and New York is so full of weird rules. That's why they're going after Trump in New York. It's the only place they can go after him because of all the weird rules. New York City is the only city in the U.S. that has a so-called right to shelter mandate. Right to shelter. And this came from a movement in New York to deinstitutionalize psychiatric hospitals and facilities for the mentally ill. So New York was a ripe destination for the sanctuary overflow. Now, you not only have the mentally ill, homeless, and proliferating on the streets, but you have the migrants. The New York City administration estimates that by 2025, it will have spent $12 billion on just migrants. 
just migrants. But the crisis has originated with the federal government. This Mayorkas, who's a Homeland Security Secretary, uh, that dude is from the communist side of Cuba, if you will. That's arguable. You can check me out on that. But meanwhile, the White House, as I say, has got Biden's hearing aid turned off. He has no border policy. None. Now, whether this will end up significantly helping Republicans, probably not, because you've got such political division. Donald Trump received 63 million votes upon winning in 2016. And in 2020, he received 74 million and lost. Now, that's 11 million different difference. He got 11 million more votes in 2020 than he got in 2016. The left is bewildered. How can he be using the mugshot and the indictments to raise money? Well, those numbers haven't moved. In fact, they've increased for Trump. And the other thing that the left knows, it is decimating the Republican primary process. By indicting Trump, it de-emphasizes the primary process and keeps other contenders off the media, like DeSantis. And they're betting that Biden can beat Trump. The projection is that the banana republic behavior has now soaked the United States in political bitterness. So deep. And you can check it out on social media and look at some of the comments by the Democrats. It's a personal hate of Trump. Um, this is going to create also prosecutorial bitterness because we see Georgia playing to this. But what it's done in terms of analysis of political scene is virtually guaranteed that in the future, someday, somewhere, hundreds of prosecutors are going to be treating the Democrat candidates the same way Trump being treated by the Democrat prosecutors. The primaries for both parties 
are non-events. And what we're waiting for and what we desperately need is a serious election. Daniel Henniger has written about this. All the pundits have written about it, taken a look at it. We need a serious presidential election, and we're not going to get one. I can assure you we're not going to get one. And you know that this 14th Amendment talk was used against the Confederates in the Union War. So they're really treating and always have treated Trump and his followers as white supremacists. And white supremacists have been associated with the South. Now, can they find a jury who will buy into that? You better believe they can. You you better believe they can. Even though Trump's behavior, if you want to call it such, might be reprehensible, he didn't cause an insurrection. It's not a rebellion. And there have been plenty of riots in American history that turned violent. Look at the 70s. Bombings of government buildings. Obama was raised by those guys. Bill Ayers, the weatherman. That was Obama's best buddy. I don't know if we're going to get one. I don't think we're going to get a presidential election process that people trust. Do you see it? I don't see it. I don't see it coming. I don't see it coming at all. The trust is gone. And once you lose trust, you can't get it back. Very, very, very difficult to get it back. People have been wondering about the banks. I've been wondering about the banks. We've been talking about the Federal Reserve. You would think that the Federal Reserve kept money in reserve. But I listened to Tim Martin's presentation and thought it was excellent. He explained that the Federal Reserve just does the opposite. Every time the government dumps money into the society, it erodes the value of the money. Every time you print money, and dumping into the society, it erodes the value of the money. So the sharp rate hikes and the interest the Fed pays on its deposits and borrowing are much higher than the yield it receives on its trillions. 
So on long-term investments, its expenses have greatly exceeded its interest earnings, and the Fed has accumulated nearly $93 billion in cash operating losses. That's got that that shoe's got to drop some point. And the Fed is able to assess member banks for these losses, but instead it is borrowed to fund them. And when it does it, it shifts the bill to the taxpayers because it raises the federal debt, which is growing larger by the second. The Fed has $86 billion in negative retained earnings, bringing its total capital to around negative $50 billion. The Fed has 12 district banks, all of which, except for Atlanta, has suffered large operating losses. Now, the Federal Reserve Act requires that the member banks subscribe to the shares issued by their district bank in a dollar value equal to 6% of the member institution's capital and surplus, the definitions of which depend on the depository institution's charter. This gets to be gobbledygook for the average guy. What the average guy who's wise might do is spread his money around to several banks. Don't rely on keeping it all in one bank. There can be run on these banks. Some banks there have been. But when the Federal Reserve is losing money, where is it going to go to get money? From the taxpayer. And Tim Martin made a very good explanation of how many taxes you're paying, I'm paying. Ken Hillier talked about how much is on his cell phone. In spite of the obvious tax, which might be the tax on dinner or the property taxes. And debt is the number one thing on Yoho's list. Well, have a great day. Stay in tune. Stay informed. Vote when it comes time. If you can, if there is, it doesn't look like there's going to be a primary. Warthog Command Center out.